I love the Olympics. I look forward to it every year, um, or, well, every four years, and uh, I love everything about it. I love all the different countries competing against one another, um, and, and even the sports I don't even care about, like archery and rock climbing. It's still fun just to watch uh, the, the, the best in the world compete at such a high level. Um, and, and for like two weeks straight to just have all of these competitions happening right before you. And, and I, it's always such a great joy. And I especially love the Summer Olympics more than the Winter Olympics. Um, and so what I've, I've kind of been watching, I don't typically watch a whole lot of TV, but I've kind of been watching uh, quite a bit of Olympics over the past week and a half. It's just been um, a, a, an excitement for me. And, and uh, what's happened on a few occasions, uh, you know, after a long day, um, I'll, you know, just trying to wind down before I go to bed and um, I, I turn on the Olympics, try to catch up, and of course I, I fix myself a bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream, and uh, very pathetically I eat my ice cream while I watch the most athletic people in the world do things that I can't do. And, uh, and then there's like, and, and it's like, it's so good, I mean I love mint chocolate chip first of all, and I'm um, just, you know, enjoying that, I'm in my happy place, like, it's just like these few moments of pleasure that is just a gift from the Lord. But there's always that moment where you run out of ice cream. <laughs> and then what happens, it's like just like a little slight bit of sadness kind of comes over you. Because, you know, like, oh, it's over. Like, like there's none left. And praise God, he's given me the grace that I'm not the kind of person that's going to eat the whole gallon and in one night, but, um, but, but, but even if you are, that gallon would uh, eventually run out, and you still would experience that sadness at the end of it, and you probably experience stomachache too, um, but, but, but it, that applies to all of our desires. I mean, it's especially easy with food and drink, but anything, anytime you have a good experience, it, it, maybe it's a, um, you know, a, a, an evening with friends, or, you know, maybe it's a vacation that you go on, or, um, yeah, maybe it's food or drink or, or maybe it's a sporting event that you're a part of or that you watch. And uh, whatever it is, when we experience pleasure, um, many times that is a gift from the Lord. But there's still, a, there's still that moment where we realize that it's temporary. And that's the thing that all of our good experiences have in common. They're temporary. And then we have a choice to make. I mean, sometimes, we, uh, sometimes we're filled with gratitude and we just praise the Lord for the, the great experience we just had. Uh, but sometimes we, are, we experience that moment of sadness, that moment of a deeper longing, like a wanting more. Or maybe you, maybe you have both. But we have all kinds of desires in our life. And some desires are good and, and some desires not so good. Um, but, but all of our desires very often kind of point towards a desire for everlasting, eternity. In fact, we all kind of share that fundamental desire for something that lasts forever. And, and the disciples and the crowd, actually, uh, the crowd, not the disciples, the crowd in today's gospel shares that longing for eternity. That longing for, for a happiness that is everlasting, for a joy, a pleasure that would not end. And we see that today. They say, uh, they, they go to Jesus, first of all. Remember, 
This is the continuation from last Sunday's gospel. We're in John chapter 6. Just to catch us up, last Sunday Jesus fed the 5,000 families miraculously out of five uh, bread, five loaves of bread, two fish. And 24 hours later, they're going to Jesus and they say, Jesus, give us this bread always. Like not just yesterday, that was really awesome and stuff, but like give it to us always, that it would never end. And you've got to expect that these people, um, they knew their scriptures because it was more common back then than today to actually read the Bible. And so they knew the Old Testament and they, they loved the Old Testament. And part of what they knew was the miracle of the manna. And so just to catch you up in case it's been a while since you've, um, since you've, you've learned about the miracle of the manna in the desert. As a reminder, this is whenever God fed the Israelites every single day bread that came down from heaven. It appeared on the ground like the dewfall in the morning for them to eat. And this was every single day uh, from the moment they left the, uh, they left Egypt from slavery and until they got to the promised land. And, and even though that was a very short geographical distance that they probably could have accomplished within a, a couple days, it took them 40 years for some reason. And for 40 years, God fed them every single day. What we often forget too, though, is that God didn't just feed them in the morning bread. He also fed them quail every single night in the evening. In fact, the Old Testament says flesh. God gave them flesh so they were not on the vegan diet. They had bread and flesh every single day from God, miraculously in the desert from heaven. And the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, generations later still remember how God provided for them. And this was so important to them. And, and what was also important to them was God's promise of a Messiah that would come. And this Messiah was, was something that everybody was longing for. And, and there was a little bit of confusion. Every now and then someone really awesome would come up on the scene. Um, Elijah and John the Baptist. And, and people would think that that might be the Messiah. But one of the things that was going to be a, a, a clue that the real Messiah has actually come, all the Jews knew this, was that the real Messiah was going to reproduce the miracle of the manna. And in so doing, almost fulfill Moses, become like a new Moses figure, um, and bring back that miracle of feeding, that miracle of the manna. And so last Sunday, we see Jesus of Nazareth feeding 5,000 families miraculously bread and flesh. There was fish, kind of flesh. And they come to him 24 hours later thinking maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, this Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth is the Messiah. And so they approach him and they say, give us this bread always. Not just yesterday, and not just for 40 years, but if you're the real Messiah, give us this bread always. Satisfy our longing, our desire for the, for the, the one thing that will truly satisfy us. The bread of angels, the bread from heaven that comes from the Messiah King, Son of God. And Jesus, of course, responds, and, and, and this is that famous quote we all know so well. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am. 
So he suddenly identifies himself not only as the new Moses who will bring about the new manna, but identifies himself as the new manna as well. That I'm not just going to bring bread, I'm going to be the bread. And whoever comes to me will never hunger, whoever believes in me will never thirst. I alone, Jesus Christ, will satisfy your deepest desires. And he says, the Son of Man will give you food that will endure for eternal life. Food that will not be temporary. Food that will not just pass away. Food that will endure for eternity and satisfy that deepest longing within us. Well, sure enough, this was John chapter 6, and he, um, we haven't yet gotten to the Last Supper, but what we know now in hindsight is that Jesus was pointing towards the night before he died. Just a few chapters later in John's Gospel, the night before he dies, he identifies himself and brings about this union between flesh and bread, all within the context of Passover. And he takes that bread and he says, this is my body, which will be given up for you. And he says that this will not just happen once, but it will happen forever. Do this in memory of me. This will be an everlasting bread that will endure for eternal life. And we see Jesus culminating all of the, the, all of the expectations and desires of God's holy people. Right there in the Eucharist. You see, what's beautiful is that right there in the Old Testament, at the very first foreshadowing of this beautiful gift that we have in the Eucharist, the very first time the manna appears on the ground, you can imagine how odd that must have been right there in the desert. Suddenly, there's like this flaky bread all over the ground. And, and the Israelites respond with great wonder and awe. They say, what is this? What is it? With great anticipation, they ask Moses, what is this, this mysterious thing that appeared on the scene? And Moses turns to them and, and says, this is the bread from heaven. This comes from God. God is providing for you. Even though you've grumbled and complained, God listened and gave you what you needed. This is the bread of angels, the bread from heaven. But you know, you and I can ask ourselves the same question, and I'd really like to ask you that honestly today. What is it? What is this? There's two real options before us. It's either bread or it's Jesus. And depending on how you answer that question will impact your entire outlook on life and on faith. If it's bread, then it's just a symbol. If it's Jesus, it's God himself. If it's bread, well, I could frankly do without if I'm busy. And if it's Jesus, I just can't get enough. If it's bread, I can justify my way of life and convince myself I'm a really good person, even though I'm probably involved in some really serious sin. If it's Jesus, I'm terrified of sinning in such a way that would make me unworthy to receive God himself. If it's bread, 
there are probably more engaging ways to worship, ways that you can connect with God that will be more relevant to the 21st century. If it's Jesus, how could we ever imagine any other way to worship? Depending on how we answer that question, what is it? really impacts everything. I know we've all had different experiences of the Eucharist. Maybe uh, some of us, maybe some of us are, are all in. We, we, we've experienced, we've encountered Jesus through the Eucharist, and we, we know it, we love it, we've embraced it, we live it. Maybe some of us had that once, but, uh, but sometimes find ourselves taking it for granted, forgetting how amazing of a gift it really is. Maybe some of us um, still wrestle, aren't quite sure how to grasp it and how to truly believe in it. Maybe we're not even sure if we really trust the church's teaching on it. Or maybe we're somewhere in between, but what we do know is that three out of every four Catholics don't believe it's Jesus. But how awesome would it be if every single one of us in these pews, four out of four, believed it really was, believed that it wasn't just bread, that although it looks like bread and smells like bread and tastes like bread, it's still not, that somehow miraculously, because the scriptures say so, because the Old Testament pointed towards it, and Jesus prepared us for it, and inaugurated it, and the, the, the Holy Mother Church has preserved it and provided for us even till this day. How awesome would it be if we truly embraced the reality of what it is, even if we don't truly understand it. And so perhaps uh, maybe uh, just a one simple step forward for us today is this. No matter where you are on um, your, your, your story with the Eucharist, I want us all maybe to pray this prayer today as we continue with Mass. It's very simple. Lord, increase my desire for you. Or better yet, Lord, increase my desire for the Eucharist. Lord, increase my understanding, increase my faith, increase my desire. Because, Lord, we know that all of our desires are fleeting, except for our desire for you. Because you alone satisfy. Because you have told us that we who come to you will never hunger. We who believe in you will never thirst. And so today we all pray together. Lord, increase my desire so that Jesus can truly satisfy our deepest desire for him.